You're not going back far enough. That, in effect, is Jesus's message to the Pharisees in today's Gospel. After they ask him the question, is it permissible for a husband to divorce his wife? First, Jesus asks them what Moses thought of divorce, knowing that these men were intensely, deeply devoted to Moses and the Mosaic Law. Whatever Moses said, they believed. Well, when the Pharisees respond, Moses allowed it. Jesus concedes the point. But then he immediately clarifies the matter and refocuses the question. He says, essentially, you gentlemen are absolutely correct. Moses did permit divorce. But he permitted it because of your stubbornness because of the hardness of your hearts. He allowed it because he knew you weren't ready to accept the truth in its fullness. So the real question here shouldn't be, what did Moses say on the subject? The real question should be, what did God the Father say on the subject? You men are going back to Moses to get your perspective on marriage and divorce, but you are not going back far enough. You need to go back to creation, to that moment when God created man and woman in his image and likeness. And when you go back to that point in time, then you find God's thought on the matter, which is preserved for us in the book of Genesis chapter 2, in these words. God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus then interprets that verse with these powerful words, and we know them well. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. My brothers and sisters, the Catholic Church has remained faithful to these words of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years, which really shouldn't surprise us, because ours is the church that Jesus Christ founded on the rock of St. Peter. Every other Christian group, every other Christian community that I know of has compromised this teaching in some way. Of course, the Catholic Church also understands that just because two people follow all the rules and go through a nice wedding ceremony in a Catholic setting does not mean that God has joined that couple together. Sometimes there's a defect present at the very beginning, which prevents the couple from making the full and free consent that's necessary to have a valid marriage. One example of this would be if one or both of the parties was forced into the marriage, unduly pressured into the marriage. Another example would be if one or both of the parties positively intended never, ever, ever to have children in the marriage. There are many other examples. Those are just two possibilities. This, of course, is the essential difference between a divorce 
and an annulment. Many Catholics and others are not clear on this matter. A divorce says there once was a marriage, now there isn't. While an annulment says there never was a true marriage bond formed in the first place because of a defect that was present when the vows were exchanged. Even though the couple entered the relationship in good faith. I know there are many people in this church right now who have gone through the very painful experience of divorce. It's not something you planned on. It's not something you desired. But it happened. Remember something. Those who are civilly divorced and who are living a chaste single life, those people can still fully participate in the sacramental life of the Church. Many Catholics are not clear on this point. In the eyes of God, people in this situation are still married to their ex-spouses, they're just not living with them. Which, of course, is not the ideal, but neither is that kind of situation sinful in and of itself. The problem comes when a person remarries outside the Church. Then they must refrain from receiving the sacraments unless they're in danger of death. But all is not lost even in that kind of circumstance. I encourage those in that kind of situation to apply for an annulment. If there was some defect present at the very beginning, rendering the marriage invalid, that hopefully will be recognized by the marriage tribunal, which means the person will be able to get married again in the Catholic Church. But enough about divorce. I'd rather be more positive in this homily by talking a bit about marriage itself. After all, the cure to the divorce problem in our culture right now is better marital relationships, and that should be obvious. Stronger, healthier marriages make for fewer marital breakups. On that note, let me share with you this morning something I came across recently on the website of the Diocese of Austin, Texas was entitled, Seven Secrets of a Successful Marriage. These were quite good. They were formulated by a psychologist, a Dr. Joseph White, and a man named William Cashin. I presume Mr. Cashin assists Dr. White in his work. Properly speaking, these were written for people who are contemplating marriage, but many of them also apply to those who are already married. White and Cashin begin by saying this, research in psychology and sociology continues to affirm the church's timeless teaching. Thus we offer the following suggestions based on scientific data and clinical wisdom. Secret number one for a successful marriage, according to Dr. White and Mr. Cashin, avoid cohabitation before marriage. They write, although about 50 to 80 percent of couples do it, research says that they are 40 to 85 percent more likely to get divorced than those who don't. And they cite five studies to back up their assertion. So much for the idea that trying it out first with no commitment makes for a better marriage. It does not. 
Secret number two for a successful marriage. Practice premarital and marital chastity. According to White and Cashin, couples who wait until after marriage to have relations are 29 to 47 percent more likely to enjoy relations during marriage. Then they go on to give this word of advice. After the wedding, be faithful to your spouse. Major hurt and disruption to relationships is often caused by extramarital affairs, the viewing of pornography, and quote-unquote emotional affairs, in which one spouse invests him or herself emotionally in someone else, rationalizing the relationship because it is not a sexual one. While marriages in which these things happen usually are troubled prior to the affair, unfaithfulness can push the relationship to the breaking point, causing lasting wounds that may not heal. Secret number three for a successful marriage, keep the faith. Here they cite a University of Wisconsin researcher who found that couples who attend church weekly are 35% less likely to divorce. So aren't you glad you got up today for Mass? But you have to come every week for this to apply. Secret number four, spend time together in prayer. As Pope John Paul II said, prayer increases the strength and spiritual unity of the family, helping the family to partake of God's own strength. The authors then refer to another study done back in 1991 which found that only 1% of married couples who pray together and report a high-quality sexual relationship think that divorce is even possible for them. In other words, 99% of those who meet those criteria would say that divorce for them is not even on the radar screen. That's pretty good. Secret number five for a successful marriage, practice natural family planning. White and Cashin write, a Michigan State University study showed higher levels of marital satisfaction among couples who use NFP versus other methods of family planning, and some studies have indicated that the rate of divorce for couples who practice NFP may be as low as 0.6%. That's less than 1%. And how blessed we are in this parish since we have two couples who are certified NFP instructors. Not every parish has that. Not every community has that. Their phone numbers, incidentally, are in the bulletin. Every week. <laughs> Secret number six for a successful marriage. When you have a conflict, talk about it. Here the authors make a very important point that might surprise some of you. They write, A healthy marriage is not one that is free of conflict. In fact, researchers have found no relationship between the number or frequency of disagreements and marital dissatisfaction. Some happy couples have lots of conflicts, and some unhappy ones have very few. What makes the difference between happy and unhappy couples is how conflicts are resolved once they occur. 
By using sensitive, healthy communication skills, a couple can work through conflicts and make their marriage stronger. And finally, secret number seven for a successful marriage. Practice empathy and forgiveness. I always tell couples on their wedding day the two most important sentences that they need to learn to say to one another from their hearts are the sentences, I am sorry and I forgive you. And obviously, White and Cashin agree. As they say here, when you are angry or dismayed by what your spouse is doing or saying, try to imagine yourself in his or her shoes. Work toward forgiveness and trust when hurts occur. Grudges can devastate a marriage. But choosing to let go of angry feelings gives us the freedom to go on. If you're having trouble living these last two suggestions, especially in your marriage, I highly recommend to you that you consider attending a Retrovi weekend, which is a Catholic workshop for troubled marriages. We advertise local Retrovi weekends periodically in our bulletin, and you can find a lot of information about them on the Internet. I know for an absolute fact that they have helped to save several marriages here in our own community. And one of the things that makes them so effective is the great follow-up program they have for husbands and wives after they go back home, when the weekend is over. They don't just say goodbye to you and good luck, hope you have a good marriage now. They work with you for several weeks afterward, and that makes a big difference. Let me conclude this morning by saying how inspiring it is to have so many couples in our parish celebrating major wedding anniversaries every year. Their 25th, their 30th, their 40th, their 50th, their 60th. Believe it or not, we even had one couple, Barbara and Frank Ligori, celebrate their 70th anniversary in 2008. They're both in the nursing home. They're doing pretty well for two people in the nursing home. And as Frank reminded me this past Friday when I went there to celebrate Mass, Father, it's now 71 years. <laughs> They're working on 80. <laughs> couples like the Ligoris and others who are celebrating these major anniversaries, all these couples give us hope for the future. Hope for the future of the traditional nuclear family. Hope for the future of our society. And hope for the future of marriage. They show us that those whom God has joined together can actually stay together for life.